0: Please turn with me this morning to John's Gospel, chapter 17. If you're a visitor this morning, we're very glad to see you. We are studying the prayer of the Lord Jesus. We say, and we've said it before, this is holy ground. The prayer of the Lord Jesus before he goes to Calvary to perform the greatest work. The work of salvation. The salvation of a countless number of souls. And before he goes, he prays. That's what we do. Before we do any small task, we pray. And this is the greatest task. The Lord Jesus is going to die. He's going to bear the punishment of a vast number of people of the millions of sins of millions of people. And so he comes to pray. Our subject this morning, it seems to be, because its first word is negative, our title is not of the world. Let's read verses 14 to 16. This is what the Lord Jesus says, I have given them thy word. And the world hath hated them, his people, those that he's going to die for and that he will save. The world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them. From the evil. They are not of the world. Notice the repetition word for word from part of verse 14. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ is one with his Father, our Father. They are two persons, but one God. Christ has two natures. He has a divine nature and he has a human nature. As the early church fathers rightly said, without any confusion, Christ has two natures unchangeably, invisibly inseparably both divine and human. This is a great mystery. We have to confess it. Christ always was, he is, he always will be divine and human. He was not created. Those translations that say Christ came, He became, are not quite right. We love the authorised version which says he was begotten, not created. Christ wasn't created. He always was. He always will be. He says earlier in this prayer that the unity that he had with the Father Look at verse 5, he says, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. When the world was, it had been created. He was the creator, Christ. And before the creation, he had glory with the Father. Now, I'm laboring this point because the cults, they teach that Christ is a lower being. They teach that he was created. And clearly this passage says to us, Christ had the glory co-equal with the Father before the world was. That's one of many verses that we could use to prove that God is three persons. And the second person of the Trinity, Christ has two natures. He had them before the world. And he knew the glory with the Father. And so we come and look at the first five verses and we see that Christ is praying briefly for himself. What's his prayer request? He only makes one It's not a selfish prayer request. His prayer is that the world would know that he would have the same glory as he always had, co-equal with the Father before the world was. He says in his prayer, verse 2, As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent, and I have glorified thee, Christ, on the earth. i finished the work. What work? The work of enabling people to know that Christ is, has glory. He is glory. He shines the glory of the Father and he does that most at Calvary where his power is unleashed, where his love flows over and where he redeems a people for himself. Go on to verse 5. And now, O Father, glorify thou Me, at the cross, let the people know that I had glory with the Father. I still have glory with the Father, and I always will have glory with the Father, just as I had before the world was. That's very important. Somebody said to me after the service, Last Sunday evening that in the morning I perhaps used a word that wasn't quite right. and I wanted to put that straight because it's so important. I don't always get my words right. Do forgive me. I want to come back to the word of God so often. And so we see here Christ has the glory co-equal with the Father. Now, we move on to the next section that we're in, verses 6 to 19, and we see here prayers for us. And really, there's three words that we can helpfully remember that describe the prayer of Christ for us, his people. He prays that we will be kept, we've thought of that, preserved, protected, protected, and safely kept. That's Christ's prayer for you and me. If we know Christ, that we would go through life preserved, protected in our faith, with our eyes looking unto Christ, safely going through life. That's the first request. The second one is and we've touched on this that we would be joyful Oh, there's no such thing as an unhappy Christian. We are to be full of joy. Sometimes we disguise it badly. We are having joy in our hearts. We need to show that joy, not a a bubbling up, gushing, temporary joy that's made up and it's an act and it's a performance. No, no. We are to have joy. And he says that here in verse 13. I'm just recapping. That they might have my joy. Christ had joy and his request is that we would know his joy. What kind of joy? A joy that endured trial, sorrow, punishment, persecution. And that we would have that joy filled up in ourselves, in the midst of trials, illness, difficulty. That we would have a joy, as we thought of on Thursday evening, a joy that's full. A joy that nobody can take away. A joy that's not made up. A joy that's so very real. This is the assurance Of every believer, it's a lie to say Christians don't know, can't know, won't know if Christ has died for them. He says that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Oh, this is a wonderful thing. We're kept and we have Joy. The third request, we shall consider this next week. It's in verse 17 that we would be sanctified, made clean. And we'll consider that next week. That doesn't happen overnight. Yes, legally our sins have been taken away. We're made right with God. We're justified. But the process of making our heart clean taking us from being a natural man, a natural woman, into being one that's progressively cleaner and cleaner. is one that takes all of life. And it will be finished on the day that Christ returns and we are glorified. Well, we come to verse 14. And this really is a slightly different subject, but it leads on to sanctification. We're kept, we have joy, and we're sanctified. The three requests, remember them. Think about them more than the butterfly that hangs above us and flutters around this morning with joy. Let's think about these three things. We're kept, we have joy, and we're made Clean, but here's a different subject, and I said it seems to be negative. We are not of the world. Sometimes the word of God puts things in a negative way because it's helpful, it's helpful to say what we're not so we can see what we are. We sometimes understand the character of God by understanding what He's not, and then we see. What he is. So the first heading this morning is the word. And then we'll come on to the world. And then I'm going to ask you a question. So here's the first phrase verse 14. There is much more in this than you might think as you read it. I, Christ says, I have given them thy word we've been given three indescribable gifts. Gifts which are supernatural, extraordinary, incomprehensible in their greatest depth. Do you know what they are? Three inexpressible gifts. The first, of course, is Christ himself. He is a gift which comes from heaven. He is somebody that we will never truly understand in this life. Oh, the depth of the riches of the glory of God expressed in Jesus Christ. That's the first gift. The second gift is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit as well is the the third person of the Trinity, and we cannot fully comprehend what he does, what he will do, what he is. He is a power. We cannot see him, but we can see what he does. We can see his effects. He leads us into all truth. He convicts us of sin. He awakens us to see our need. That's the second Indescribable, not fully comprehendable gift. Christ, the Holy Spirit, and the third gift is here in verse 14. And these three gifts, they all work together in harmony. The third gift is the Word. I have given them thy word. We've thought partly about this already. It said earlier, I have given them thy words. It's put in the plural. The word is just the sum total of the words that we have been given. Look at Psalm 12 and verse 6. We see a lovely verse here that maybe amplifies and expresses what we mean. Psalm 12 and verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace, purified seven times. It doesn't literally mean seven. It's a figure of speech for so many times that the word of God has been proven to be pure, pure. The words of God's word, the Bible, the word, are pure. Let me give you a few headings under this overall heading. The word, the word, I have given them the word. We come back to this again and again and again. What is this word like? Well, I take it from this expression. It's thy word. Christ didn't make it up. In a sense, he's just the messenger. He brings it. In fact, it's brought not just through him, but it's brought by men who were moved to breathe and to speak the word of God. It's the Father's word. He gave it over 1,500 years. That itself is a miracle. Come back to that. It was entrusted not to women, but to 40 men. And it's entirely consistent. It's been demonstrably proven to be accurate. Just think of the Quran. That was entrusted to one man, to the Prophet Muhammad, over 23 years. Why is it more remarkable that it was 1,500 years? The men that wrote down the Word of God, they lived on three continents. They lived over 15 centuries. Many of them have never met each other. And yet, the Word of God is so consistent. I've said this before to some of you. I don't think publicly that if you join together all the cross-references in the Word of God, it forms a network so deep that you can hardly see the lines. You plot Genesis to Revelation, cross-quoted. You quote and join up those cross-references, the fulfillments of the prophecy, how it links So wonderfully, like a network that only God could breathe and could construct. Oh, it's the Father's word. It's been proven by the lives of those who've trusted it. It's been proven by the apostles who were entrusted to proclaim it. It's of the highest importance, it deserves the most utmost respect, and it has the ultimate authority. Let me say that again. It deserves the highest importance. Does it have that in your life? It should have the utmost respect, and it has the ultimate authority. That's not the way it's treated today. It's treated as just another book, as an authority. The church supposedly has authority. No, it doesn't. The Pope has authority. No, he doesn't. The Word of God is our only authority. I have no authority except through the Word of God. This is the Father's Word. We don't add to it. We don't take away from it. To do so would be to undermine it. Well, that's the first thing. The second thing we can say is this Word that Christ has given is a revealing Word. Do you know when that Word speaks, shines, it sifts, It sifts my life, the wheat, which is good and pure, and the chaff, which is a waste of time. When that light shines into my heart, it distinguishes the sin of my life from that which is pleasing to God. It's a revealing word. And every time we read it, I want it, I hope it will, I pray it will reveal the secrets of men's hearts. Do you know so often when we read it, we read many verses in the adult Bible class. You're welcome to come if you're an adult. And as we read it, doesn't it have that ring of authority? And it searches my heart. It shows me what I'm like. And I sometimes don't like what I see and what I hear and what it shows up. Does it do that for you? If it does, that's the Holy Spirit speaking. That's the authority of God's word, the Father's word, a revealing word. It reveals to men and women who are desperately in their sin, hopeless and helpless Without Christ, when God's word is heard, it says if you're without Christ, you have no hope. You're dead in your sins and trespasses, and when that day of judgment comes, Christ will say, away from me. You have no part in heaven. But that word as well reveals Jesus Christ. The only hope of men and women and children. This is a revealing word. It reveals my sin, my nakedness. And it reveals Christ in all his purity and loveliness. And it reveals that he's the only one that can satisfy my soul. Thirdly, it's a powerful word. Think of those men when Wesley and and Whitfield were preaching, hard, tough, dirty men who'd been mining and their faces were covered with soot. 20,000 in a field in Kingsbury near Bristol and Whitfield and Wesley speak. Grown men in the tears of their Repentance and faith. They put great gorges down their faces as the soot was cleansed away, as they saw their sin exposed, their foul mouths, their lies, their unclean hearts. And that word was a sanctifying word to them. Oh, it's a powerful word. It's a dividing word. Fourthly, it only divides into two. When this word is preached powerfully and it reveals the truth of God, it divides us. This church doesn't have a central aisle, but if it did, you sit on one side or the other. You're either with God or you're against God. That's what that word does. It divides the heart. Are you for him? Are you on the Lord's side? I have given them thy word. You were either for God, or you hated him and his people and his word. That's what it says in verse 14. I gave them thy word, and the world hated Those that received it, my followers, those that believed and put their faith in me. Why? Because they are not of the world. You are either for God or you're against him. You either receive his word or you reject it. You're either of another world or you're of this vain, passing, Hollywood-driven world. It's an abiding word. Verse 14, I have given them thy word. Not I gave them, I have given. It's a word that keeps giving. We read the same verses. How often this happens to me. I'm blind, I'm a fool. I come back to a verse and it says something it's never said before. Oh yes, it has. It said it to so many others, but I didn't see it. It's a word that abides, a living word. It's abiding in the sense that it preserves me. It abides. It keeps me. It protects me. It guards me. It's an abiding, living, protecting word. It's God's word. It's unsurprising. He is life. He gives his word and it gives life to all who trust it. Sixthly, it's a living word and I mean this in a different way. You put a bit of God's word into a life and it speaks. Some of us have become accustomed to taking these grains or kefir, as they call it, this gelatinous little lump, and you put it in a glass overnight, and you tip the double milk on, and overnight it grows. 24 hours, and it's turned into a thick yogurt, isn't that what the Word of God is like? You just need a little bit and you tip the milk on and it grows and grows and grows and it becomes thick, not milk. It becomes something that's got a bitter taste and something that does you good. That's what the Word of God does. It's a living Word. Finally, finally, We could say so much more. It's a word that fills. This isn't part of the truth. This doesn't need to be added to or embellished or changed in any way. We've got all of it. All that we need for life and for eternity. I have given them thy complete word. that's what it does to us. Great peace have they, which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Well, I could say so much more. Let's think of our second thought this morning. I've almost come to the end before the beginning. The second word is this, the world, I have given them thy word. Why did he do that? He gave the word to divide the world, to divide the world into God-fearers and God-haters. What are you this morning? This word, the world, this is what it does. It turns the world into a place where there is opposition. This world is ruled by Satan. It is not neutral. The world doesn't sit on the fence. You cannot have a bit of both. You are either for God or against him. Its ruler is Satan. He has rebelled. He's rejected God. He's rebelled against him. His agenda is to control every heart. He wants to turn your life into darkness, to take every ounce of goodness, every shaft of light away from you. He wants to make you bitter. He wants to make you angry, jealous. He wants to store up baggage in your life so you're against God. I'm not joking this morning. This is a solemn word, Christ's own words. I've given them thy word and the world hated them. Those who've left Satan's side, those who love light, who love Christ, they're now on a different side. They're not on Satan's side. They don't go by his agenda. They don't follow it. They don't want it. They no longer want moral darkness. They want light. They want every influence of good upon their heart. And every influence of evil, they run from it. The ruler is Satan. His agenda is control. His methods are to deny the existence of God. He's going to undermine this word every way he can. He's going to say, It's a lie, it's a lie. It's only part of the truth. That was his first lie. Hath God said? And he'll whisper it in your ear when you're tempted to sin. He'll say, No, God didn't say that. You can have a bit. Go on, look, eat, take. No consequences. He tries to create confusion and chaos in the world and the Lord is allowing it for a time in certain places, in certain hearts, but he's already been crushed, defeated. One day, he will be like all the enemies of God, crushed under the footstool of Christ. This is, World, ruled by Satan, his agenda, his methods, his time scale, is now. That's the only time he thinks of. He doesn't think of the future, he doesn't think of eternity, he doesn't think of the day of judgment. His time is now. Have it. Now is what he says to you and me. Don't live with the consequences because there aren't any. Don't think about the future. Don't think about the damage, the destruction, the effect on your children when you lie to your wife, when you damage your family. Don't think about the years that you'll live with it. Think about now. It will taste good. It will feel good. It will be for now. His time is now. The condition of the world that he has created. It's chaotic. It's confused. It has been ever since the fall. There's no right. There's no wrong. Do as you feel. Do as you please. Darkness. Darkness. A world at war with itself, battling with Satan, battling with sin. That's what this world is like. All its pleasures are sensual. The pleasures for time, not for eternity. Do you know often we hear worldliness defined in completely the wrong way. We see it defined as lists. Don't do this, don't do that. Wear this, don't wear that. I'm not saying all these things are wrong. Don't misunderstand me. But you know that's not the way the Word of God defines worldliness. Love of the world. Listen to this. Love not the world. Love. That starts in the heart. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, that's worldliness, lust. The lust of the eyes, that's worldliness, is not of the Father, it is of the world. Worldliness is not a list, it's a lust. What does Paul say? That was John. Paul says the characteristic of worldliness is fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Ephesians 2 verse 3. Do you notice again? Desire, lust. Worldliness is inside. It starts from within. It's a want It's a feeling that we give in to. John adds one more thing. 1 John 2, 16. We read it. The pride of life. Lists are temporary. Fashions change. Clothing changes. What we wear, what we eat, what we do, it changes. But you've got to start from within. That's where sin comes from. And sin and worldliness are one and the same. Loving anything and everything that God does not love or allow or permit. We need a bigger view of worldliness. It's not the five or the ten or the fifteen things. It starts from the heart. Why are you doing that? Why are you wearing that? Is it to be seen? Is it to be sensual? Is it to make people look at you instead of your saviour? That's worldliness. Worldliness is from within. Its fruits are to be seen. Here's the question. We thought of the word... We've thought of the world, we're not to be of the world, we're to be separate, we're to be distinct. There's a great lie in the church that says the church and the world can be, should be one. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's not. Here's the question. Where's your home? Where do you belong today? We have a hymn, my rest is in heaven, my rest is not here. Christ says, if you're not of the world, if you're of Christ, if you're spiritual, the world will hate you. Why then do you love the world? If the the love of the world is the love of Satan... You shouldn't love the world. And if you love the world, you don't love me. That's what we've read this morning. No, the kingdom that we're part of is ruled by Christ. And his rule is the rule of love. It doesn't change. This is a a kingdom that's fair and just. He's the rightfully appointed ruler. And all of us desire him. We don't need any other ruler. There's no election in heaven because he's already been appointed. His agenda is salvation. He will redeem a people for himself. His methods are pure. They're right, they're good. His time scale is not now. His time scale is eternal. Oh, he calls you to come now. But he thinks of the future. He thinks of the rest of your life. And he thinks of that indefinable time of eternity. And he wants you to think of eternity today, not now. And the condition of his kingdom and the state of it is one of joy and peace. Wouldn't you rather be in that kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, The kingdom of heaven, its pleasures are not sensual, they are spiritual. To be in his presence, that is joy and peace. His pleasures are eternal, they don't don't fade. When you have Christ, you have everything. You don't need Hollywood. You don't need that new outfit. You don't need the things that money can buy. They may have a function for a time. They may be helpful. But what we need is Christ. Christ is all in all to me. Christ's kingdom. Where do you belong? Are you a member of Christ's eternal kingdom? Or are you in that kingdom which is of this world. Christ said, I am not of this world. What describes your life? Are you of the world of Satan? Are you of Christ's eternal kingdom? That's a vitally important question that you need to answer. Who would you have to rule over your life? Let's read that verse again. I have given them thy pure, perfect, fulfilling, revealing, righteous word. And the world hated them, because they, my people, Christians, are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. The Lord bless us to understand these things